So friends, we are studying the book of James. We're going to do the whole book this summer. I picked James because it's such a practical book. Every week you're going to learn something that can be used in your day-to-day life. It is extremely useful. Let's pray together and we will study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. I think some of you know that, that Carolyn Rosskamp and I took out a group of people kayaking about a week and a half ago. We went out with 20. We came back with almost 20. And um, <laughs> that's, that's funnier for some of you than others, I think. <laughs> but anyway, um, how many of you are experienced kayakers? Like, you know what you're doing? We could put you out on the water tomorrow and it would be fine. That's not true, Sung. Um, Have you ever tried kayaking without a paddle? That is a super interesting experience. It it could be done, I suppose. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, Same with canoeing or or whitewater rafting. Without a paddle, though, you should know that your options are going to be pretty severely limited. You, uh, you are pretty much at the mercy of the current, and if you've ever been in Robinson Preserve at the right time, you know that there is a limited current, so you will pretty much just kind of stay where you are in that, that general uh, area. You could try to find something like a stick, but um, the, the law of physics says that a stick is not really going to help you a whole lot. Or you could pick option three, which is get out of the kayak and swim behind it and push it through wherever you are going. And I, I don't really recommend this option either. It's, it's not going to be very scenic or enjoyable for you. The point is, it's really hard to do something like that when you're missing a critical piece. You, you need both a kayak and a paddle to make the whole thing happen. And that's what James, Jesus' little brother, wants to talk with us about this morning. James, uh, Jesus taught James and teaches us that blessed are those who know the word of God and, and who know the word of God and who have a kayak and, right, who know the word of God and do it, to actually do it. And James uh, presents it this way. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, you have to rid yourselves of all kinds of sordidness, rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save you. But... But, there's a lot of and and but in this passage, 22. But, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if there are any hearers of the word and not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in the mirror. They look at themselves and upon going away, forget what they look like. Jesus reveals something very special to us in verse 19. And this is really going to be important as we study the whole book of James. He is writing to the beloved. He's writing to the church. So he's writing to believers. James is not the book that you get to go stand out on a street corner with and start preaching to non-believers about how they should be living their lives. 
because that was not the audience that James wrote to. He wrote to those of us that, that are here, that are trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he says that we have a common identity, a heritage, an inheritance, because we are loved, we're precious in the eyes of God. And because of that, then, all of us have this call. We have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And that's some really good practical advice. It's a great way to get along in the world. Be quick to listen. Be quick about it, because if you don't listen, then your chances of understanding what's going on are minimal. You know that when you've been in places and you're not listening to instructions, the chances of you actually getting through what you're supposed to be doing are not good. I, I tease uh, Julia all the time because her husband, Sean, is, is the one who runs the kayaking. And, and I've passed Sean so many times, and he's out there, and he's given, he's given the big speech about this is how you kayak. This is what you're supposed to do. And, and he's so clear about it, and he gives the same speech every time. And within 30 seconds, somebody hits the water, and you can tell they did not listen to one thing. One thing. So that's going to be the person that's going through Robinson Preserve without their paddle. Um, but James, James says, be quick about this. Don't, don't, like, consider whether you're going to listen. Don't decide to listen only after the situation gets out of hand. Start from a place of listening. And that's hard for those of us that, that do not like awkward silence, right? Have you ever been in a meeting? Somebody asks a question. Nobody wants to answer it. Everybody looks down. Now we have this awkward silence. Somebody's going to say something and if you're really careful in the listening process, you're going to discover that typically the first person to speak has no idea what they're talking about. It's a true, it's a true thing. It's hard for those of us uh, to, to be quick to listen when we already know what's right. Not that you've ever met anyone like that, but, but when we've already decided what's right and we know what, what everybody should be doing, it's really hard to listen. And, and then um, it's hard for those of us that like to hear the sound of our own voices. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're talking to them, but you, you're, you're looking at them and you know that they're already thinking about what they're going to say next? Like, they don't care what you have to say because they're, they're already thinking about all the important things that they need to have their voice say to you. So James says, you be quick to listen and you start there. Likewise, we need to be slow to speak. Can you remember when, when Jesus was having yet one, another one of those interactions with the Pharisees? It was the story of the adulterous woman. And everybody was around, and everybody was really quick to speak about it. She's terrible. She's horrible. She's a sinner. Do something, do something, do something. And they wanted Jesus to jump in on this. They wanted Jesus to either embarrass and humiliate her or embarrass and humiliate himself. Remember what Jesus did? He said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, and he immediately looked down to the ground and left everybody in that awkward, silent space. And he just left them there. And what happened was, one by one, they started to walk away. Jesus took what could be a very volatile situation. He diffused it because he was quick to listen and he was slow to speak, and he caused everybody else to have to slow down and calm down as well. So you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. If we rush to speak, 
um, we, we're likely to find that we reveal the reality that we weren't listening in the first place, or worse yet, that we don't care. And that's a really hard thing when it, when it comes to being the church. People want to be heard. They, they, don't want, they don't want to be ignored. They don't want to be forgotten. So if we speak quickly, the chances of hurting somebody are high. Um, this comes up in tragic funerals, and, and hopefully you haven't had to attend many of them. But consider a case where, where um, a mother and a father have, have lost a child. And, and it happened tragically, and it was very unexpected. And so all, all of these folks come in, and they want to be of support. They do. They, they truly want to be of support. And they, they line up, and they're going to go through that greeting line, and they're going to talk to mom and dad, and they want to say something they want to say something, but, but they don't know what to say, and they don't want it to be silent, because silent is awkward. So they come up with something like, I know exactly what you're going through. I lost my grandma last year. That's a terrible thing to say in that situation. But we do it because we're quick to speak, because we're uncomfortable. And James says, slow it down. Slow it down. Or we rush we, we rush to speak into the lives of young people, right? Because lots of us have wisdom. Oh, when I was a kid, da 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 Back when I was a kid, we did this. And when I was a kid, and kids these days, you know, here's the thing. Our young people have people talking at them all day long. There is no shortage of people who like to speak to young people about what they should be doing with their lives and how they are getting it wrong. What young people need are people who are going to listen to them. They want somebody to listen to them to give them a voice. And maybe if we are quick to listen and slow to speak, it slows us down on our way to anger. Because you've been in those arguments that escalated quickly because nobody's listening, everybody's speaking, and then we get to those flashes of anger. And chances are that that somewhere along the way, Somewhere along the way, we completely bypassed the listening part. We just went straight for the speaking. And when you get to anger, you do things that are almost impossible to get undone. So we say hurtful things that that can be forgiven, but are really hard to be forgotten. Um, We do things that can permanently change the course of relationships of our lives and the lives of other people. So James urges us, He says, if you want the best shot to be an active listener, to be a slow speaker, to avoid danger, he says that you have to rid yourselves of all of the sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. That's a a really vivid description he's got there. And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. We're coming up on Mother's Day next week. Mothers all over the country are going to get that very famous Mother's Day gift. It's that clear plastic cup that the kids have planted a little seed in, right? And the the roots grow down, and then the flower grows up, and they bring it home to mom, and it is precious. And the kids love it because they've watched it grow, and it's so exciting for them to see something that they planted grow in this wonderful and protected, precious environment, and that thing gets home, and you know mom's going to kill it within a week, 
You know that's going to happen, right? Right? Because kids do these things from a heart of meekness and humility. They are so excited. This is the most precious thing that they've ever done. And that little seed is growing up in an environment where there are not weeds, where there are not mitigating environmental factors that they have to think about. No, they just have this precious seed, and it is growing, and they get to nurture it and see it. That is what we have been given in Jesus Christ with the Word of God. It has been implanted into each one of us, and we have the opportunity then to decide if we're going to grow it among the rank weeds and sordidness of the world, or if we're going to receive it with humble and meek hearts to give it that chance to, to grow. Um, I want you to get a picture in your mind of somebody, and you, you might actually know a real person like this, who doesn't listen, who constantly has to be speaking, who angers easily. How is something good going to grow in that environment? How is something even going to get a chance to grow in that environment? There's no room for it to grow. There's no space. There's, there's no light. But with meekness, the implanted word has the power to save our souls, says James, because plants grow and thrive in a selective environment, and guess what? So do we. So if we are gentle and kind and humble, as James puts it, meek, the implanted word grows in us to the extent that it will save our souls. That is significant. But says James. It's all very well and good to talk about these things, because what we've just talked about is, is kind of common sense. Not common sense that everybody practices, but it's kind of common sense. And I think that most of us, when we're our better selves, we would agree on, on that premise. The problem is that while we agree on it in theory, while we have studied it and we accept it to be true, the doing part seems to be where we struggle a a lot. And James says, be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. So I want to be super careful about what James is and is not saying here. He's not put everything on a scale where there's greater value to doing than there is to knowing or vice versa. What he's saying is, you've got a kayak, you've got a paddle, you need both of them to be successful in what you're going to do. So you can't just know the word. You have to do the word. Mother's Day is next Sunday. I don't know if I mentioned that yet already, sung. Um, But so Mother's Day is is next Sunday, and and coincidentally, I am a mother, and um, my kids are still at that age where, where sung is predominantly responsible for making Mother's Day happen. And he knows this. He, he knows this information. Um, Sung also knows all of the information that he's going to need to make Mother's Day a success. He knows that I like chai tea. He knows that I like hydrangeas. He knows that I like movies. But, as James would say, what he chooses to do with that information or not <laughs> remains to be seen next week. So the knowing part is great. The knowing part is great, 
But if you do the knowing without the doing part of it, you're going to have a problem. And the balance of the two is that very thin space. It creates a very thin space where followers of Jesus have to be so extremely careful because that, that space is so thin that the fall into hypocrisy for Christians is like skating on thin ice. To know the word but to not do the word can create a great hypocrisy and it ruins our witness out in the wor- world. So I want you to really think about this. Let's, let's talk about something that, that probably would make you uncomfortable in normal circumstances. We're people of the word. We study the word. The word says to us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. So therefore, therefore, we believe that life has value and that it matters. We know that. We, we know that. What does that mean, though, for what we do with that? What do you do with that? Well, a couple things. Jesus' followers should always be big proponents of adoption. And we should do everything that we can to support those who adopt. And here's the kicker that Christians don't want to hear. If necessary adopt ourselves. It's really, really hard when Christians get up on a high horse about the sanctity of life and then will not turn around and do things that promote the welfare of those lives. We have children here in this county who do not have enough food to eat, who do not have clean clothes to wear, who do not have adults that care about them. For us to know the value of life And to not do anything about it means that we've fallen into that thin space. And it could could be any issue. Pick any issue that you like. The environment, healthcare, race relations, economics, anything. It's not enough for us to be well-versed in what we should do what Jesus would do. It's not enough for us to go pronounce that on every street corner about what everybody else should be doing. We're called to be doers of the word. And so that means that we have to do it. We have been called out. So here's James's frustration. James's frustration is that he's got a bunch of religious people He's pastoring a big church in Jerusalem. He's been doing it for a while. He's he's been teaching these people, and so they have a ton of knowledge of, of the word. They know a lot, but they're not doing a lot. And he's very frustrated because his big brother Jesus wasn't like that at all. Jesus didn't just hole up somewhere in some academic institution or, or in some office and study all day. He worked a job as a carpenter. He started a ministry. He fed people. He healed people. He taught people. He prayed for people. He served people. He rebuked people. He encouraged people. He went to the cross and he died. Jesus got stuff done. Jesus got stuff done. He did study, but he got stuff done done. So my question is, are you getting stuff done? Are you? 
Let's, let's find out. Each week, week after week, going on for almost eight years now, I have preached in this place. And many weeks, not all weeks, but many weeks, many of you, not all of you, but many of you will come to the door and you will say something nice about my sermon because that's what we do as church people, right? That's what we do. You're supposed to go to the door. You're supposed to say, oh, that was such a nice sermon. Have a good day. And, and we, we go through this every single week. Our session has observed over the years that when we bring new members in, that, that quite a substantial number of new members, when asked why it is that they stayed at our church, will say the preaching. We like the preaching. And I'm, and I'm, I'm humbled by that. But I'm starting to wonder, and I think, I think every preacher at some point has to wonder, does it make any kind of impact whatsoever? Does it change lives? Now, you're not alone if, if that's why you picked a church because of the preaching. Recently, the folks at the Gallup organization, they're the ones that spend all of their free time studying everything that churches do. They released a study that said the overwhelming majority of Christians in this nation will choose their church based on preaching far and above anything in every other component of the church. And that makes sense if you're going to follow along with where James is going because we need the word. And presumably the easiest place for us to absorb the word is getting it through a sermon. But here again, the question is, does it make any kind of impact? So this week, everybody's got homework. And here's your homework. I want you to go home and I want you to sit down and I want you to think about a sermon. doesn't have to be one that I preached. could be one that somebody else preached. But it has to be a sermon that you loved, that, that you really thought about, that, that maybe you told somebody else about, or a Bible class that you loved, or a time when you were doing your devotion and something really stood out to you. And I want you to think about the words and, and the stories and the emotion of it and I want you to consider why it is that you remembered it. Why did that particular sermon speak to you? And then, and then, this is the hard part, I want you to ask yourself, what did you do with it? What did, what did you do with what you received? Did it, did it change your life, your day-to-day -day life in any tangible way? Did you approach your money differently? How did you speak to others after that? How do you, what do you do with your time? How do you give of yourself? And how are you spending your life? James concludes the section with a pretty darn clear litmus test. He says, if, if any think that they are religious, and, and what he's talking about here is he's talking about followers of Jesus, if anything that they are followers of Jesus and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that thin space, that hypocrisy between knowing and doing. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, to do something and to keep oneself unstained by the world, and the way that you do that is by living through the scriptures. So if we're not responding to the word that has been planted within us, then we have to confess that, 
that the word and our faith is worthless. There's no way to have a full life without being both a hearer and doer of the word, just like there's no real way to kayak without a paddle. In fact, in kayaking terms, if you go out there without a paddle, without the other half of what you need, you're already in rescue mode in need of saving. Let's pray together. Holy God, we, we confess that there are times when we can be really great hearers of the word. We're such good hearers of the word that sometimes we can quote it to other people and we can tell other people how they should live their lives according to your word. But the truth is there are times when we're not such great doers. It's just too hard or too complicated or, or it causes our hearts to have to think about the world differently than the way that we want to think about it. So we pray, Lord, that as we come forward to the table this morning, as, as we are gifted with the bread and the cup, that we would be filled up, that we would be sustained, but also that we would be convicted and energized to be doers of the word. In your name we pray. Amen. My friends, you are invited to this table not because you have it all together, but because you are the recipients of a tremendous amount of love and grace. Jesus wanted you at this table. Jesus wants you at this table because you are his. And he has died for you. And he has asked that you would remember him, that you would remember the grace that you have received, and that you would go, therefore, out into the world and make believers of all nations. So, with that in mind, let us pray and give thanks. Lord God, we thank you that we are invited to the table, each and every one. Prepare our hearts. Cleanse us. Make us ready to receive the sacrament so that being fed with the word and with the sacrament, we can go out into the world to respond in faith. In your name we pray. Amen.